chuckling because uh, today we're starting a new uh, series that's going to center on the uh, prophet Elijah, who is a great character from the Old Testament. And when Lisa saw the video that you just saw, she said, kind of reminded her of this Alfred Hitchcock movie that used to just scare me. <laughs> but those weren't evil birds. Those were ravens in the video, and they played a pretty significant role. They were friends of God and friends of Elijah. So I just thought, you know, the imagery. Anyway, so um, I, I, we're going to start today a four-week series, and we're going to look at all kinds of really good things about this guy. And um, I want to set some context for you. So this is the, you'll, you'll find this. We're going to get to it in a couple minutes, but we'll find this in First Kings starting in, in chapter 17 if you want to find that. The, the northern kingdom at this point, the, 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 the nation of Israel is split, and the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, had 19 consecutive evil kings. 19 in a row. Imagine, you know, one or two ineffective kings, but 19 evil kings in a row. Imagine what that did to a nation, um, a, a group of people. But anyway, so we jump in here on king number seven. That's when this takes place. And the guy who's king is a guy named Ahab. And uh, he was notable for a lot of reasons, one of which was he married this really, really evil woman named Jezebel. And um, the word of God says that about Ahab, it says, he did more evil in the eyes of God than all the other kings who came before him. Things were getting worse and worse and worse. And this guy, he gets to be the guy on the top of the cake so far. And the thing, the thing about Ahab that I think is most notable is that he was known for turning people's hearts away from God turning them to idolatry, to the worship of Baal and Asherah. And, uh, you know, it was a very, very dark time. People would sacrifice their children. They would literally sacrifice their ch- children. They're, they would go to the temples, and there would be temple prostitutes, and they would engage with these prostitutes in the temple and call that worship. And, uh, you know, this, God said, there's, th- there's never been a more evil king before this guy. And, um, you know, it's a very, very dark time. Scandals, corruption, idol worship, and and it finally gets to a point where God says, okay, that's enough, right? God says, enough. I wouldn't want to hear that. Um, He says that. And it's interesting at this point that God did not raise up an army. He didn't. To take a stand against this evil king, he does something that he often does. God chose to raise up one man. One man. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I would even argue that in, in today's world, God would do the same thing right where you live. I think it's, at times God would raise up one teenage girl to take a stand in her class for purity. Or God would raise up one young leader with integrity to take a stand in his industry as somebody who is just going to not do the, the, the illegal or the, the, the shady kind of thing. Or God would raise up one political leader who is going to stand and be righteous and not pander um, I just believe God will do that. God often raises up one person to make a big difference. So today, um, we're, we're going to build up a foundational understanding of, of who Elijah is. And, and I, would guess, I guess I would you know, kind of subtitle this message, The Making of a Man or The Making of a Woman. So I want to start right out on Elijah and uh, get really, you know, maybe overly analytical. I think sometimes too much. Uh, but just looking at his name is a great place to start. His name, Elijah. Um, Elijah is three parts, and uh, if you break those three parts down, El means is a reference to Elohim, which is a name or, or it's the title of God. And uh, I, in this 
context is a personal pronoun. You know, I, but in this case, it's possessive. Mine or, or my. And then Yah is a shortened ver, ver, version of Yahweh, which basically you put those three, three things together and literally Elijah means the Lord is my God. The Lord is my God. My God is Jehovah. Jehovah is, is the God. I mean, there's several ways you can say his name, but he's basically saying a statement of who God really is. So God raises up this guy with this name to stand down this really evil king. And by his very name alone, he's kind of getting in the king's grill, so to speak, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's confronting, and he stands down this king who has turned against so many people. We're going to pick up his, uh, has turned so many people against God. We're going to pick the story up in, in chapter 17, verse 1, and we don't know anything about him at this point. Haven't heard from him before. So here he is. And the first thing that we know about this guy is he's going to say he's, uh, he's from this guy from Tishbite. He's a Tishbite, which means he's from the town of Tishbe. Does that help you a lot? I mean, Elijah <laughs> doesn't help me a whole lot. That'd be like, you know, you know, me meeting you on the street in Atlanta and I say, hi, I'm Terry from Washington. Okay, what does that mean? I don't know. We don't know anything about this guy. So that's where we pick up 1 Kings 17. When, now Elijah the Tishbite, from Tishbe in Gilead, so he's identified by where he's from, which is going to change. We'll see that happen soon. Said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, you can see who he's going right after, right already. There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Now, if this was a, a, a movie, this is where the music would go, bum, bum, bum. I mean, it would get kind of scary, because he says to this evil, powerful king, there's not going to be any dew or any rain for a long time. And what's going on here is, is Elijah, I should stop calling him that. I should start calling him, my God is Jehovah. So this guy who's, my God is Jehovah, is confronting not only Ahab, but he's confronting Ahab's God, Baal, as well. Just like the plagues of Egypt, you know, the story of Moses, and um, there were these 10 plagues. Each of those plagues, you can study this out sometime, I don't have time for it today, but every one of those actually confronted a deity, an Egyptian deity. Um, interesting. So here is uh, my God is Jehovah, Elijah, and he's confronting Baal's deity, or the, uh, Ahab's deity, Baal. And uh, that's how God does it. He will always confront the false gods, and show his powerful, true aspects. So, okay, who's Baal? You've probably heard him and read him in scripture before. Here's a couple things. Baal had several names. Okay, here's a list of them. Universal God of fertility, the prince lord of the earth, he who rides on the clouds, the king of the gods, and get this one, the lord of the rain and the dew. Sound familiar? Hmm. He says, there will neither be rain nor dew. A guy named Jehovah is my God is saying, there's not going to be any rain or dew until I say so. Jehovah is my God, and he's more powerful than your Lord of the rain and the dew. That's what's being said in that statement. When you first read it, if you don't dig, you don't know that. You think, oh, okay, so he picked rain and dew. All right. Even, at, uh, even if it didn't have the relationship to the name of Baal, it would be a powerful challenge because this is an agricultural economy. You stop the water, you stop everything. It turns into a desert. And, and if you stop that economy, it wouldn't just be an economic slowdown. This would be an economic shutdown. He says, for the next few, few, few years, no rain, 
No do. Hmm. In our economy, it'd be kind of like this. No gas at the gas stations. You go to the bank, and not only are they not loaning you money, they won't give you your money that's in there. No electricity. People are starving. Unemployment, 50, 60, 70, 80%. Who knows? I mean, people dying. It's, it's a bad deal. So a guy named, my God is Jehovah, stands down this evil king and says, no dew and no rain until further. I mean, that's a lot of faith, especially against an evil king who kills people that doesn't like the way they look. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. In my way of thinking, this thing now should start escalating and it should become like Pharaoh uh, and, and Moses and there should be this succeeding demonstration of all these big miracles. I'm kind of hardly waiting to see what's going to happen next, right? But instead, God takes Elijah into this extended season of hiding. Hiding. He takes Elijah away because he can do so much more in him so that later he can do so much more through him. We're going to see that as a theme today. And watch as God takes this man into a very, very deep season of desperation, as if God is saying, there's a lot I want to do in you, but first I've got, some, some, got to do these things in you before I can do some grand things through you. And I think that some of the people here today are going to identify with that because the Lord might be doing some preparatory work in your heart right now, just like he did with Elijah. So there are three seasons that we'll see that the Lord takes Elijah through um, in this season of hiding and hurting. First Kings 17, picking up again now in verse 2. Um, then the Lord, word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of Jordan. Say with me, Kareth Ravine. Kareth Ravine. Sounds pretty in, in, simple. Okay, so in case you like to know, well, where's that? In other, words, other than just being a name, here's a map for you. Kareth Ravine is just this, it's, it's between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, but it's not along the river there. It's up the hillside. You can kind of see a red arrow there in the middle. So he's just kind of gone up, in the, up on the hillside and uh, in this, into this ravine. And um, the, the name Kareth basically literally means cut off or cut down. Go to this place and be cut off or cut down. That's where God sends him. Cut down, cut off. Cut off from blessing, cut off from the source, cut down like a tree. When a tree gets cut down, he gets cut off from everything that supplies for it. And so he's, it's just, you know, it's just that God's saying to him, I'm going to take you now on a season of breaking. I'm going to take you and cut you down. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to teach you to be totally dependent on me. I'm going to humble you privately before I can use you publicly and uh, I'm going to do some things in you that is very, they're, they're just going to be so deep so that later on you'll be able to do things that you never ever thought possible. There's a lot going on here. A lot of times people are in the Kareth Ravine, they're in this season of pain and they're saying, God, why? What's, what's going on? Where, where are you, Lord? And the reality is he's right there with you working a deep, deep work in you. I, I heard this silly story about a, a little bird that was going to fly south and it got a, got, was late flying south for the winter. And so it thought, you know, I got to get going. So it took off. It was getting cold. And as it got up in the air, the wind and the sleet and the snow was pounding on its wings and starting to freeze and, you know, couldn't fly. So it was getting a little heavy and realized it wasn't going to make it. And so down it went and it crashed in this pasture. And, and now it's freezing to death out in the cold and saying, oh, no, it's just over. Things are going bad. And then along comes this cow. 
<laughs> and this cow comes along and stands right on top of this bird, and he makes a pie. <laughs> I didn't know any other way to say this. My mother's going to have to have talk with me after church for saying pie. And now the bird is saying, wow, I thought things were bad enough. How could they get worse? And then this happens upon me. What, you know, God, where are you? I'm sure this is what the bird's thinking. But then the warmth (laughs) begins to have its effect. And all of a sudden it starts to thaw out and thinking, wait a second. I'm not going to die after all. I'm going to live. Chirp, 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 chirp. Well, there was a cat walking along the side of the pasture, and the cat heard the chirping, and the cat came over, and you know what the cat did? Ate the bird. Three lessons from this story. Lesson number one, everyone who drops manure on you is not your enemy. (laughs) Lesson number two, everyone who digs you out of the pie is not necessarily your friend. Lesson number three, when you're in the manure, Keep your beak shut. (laughs) Okay, so I'm in trouble. I'll dig this out somehow. (laughs) And some of you might be in a place right now where you think, you know, I'm kind of in the Kareth Ravine, and um, I feel cut down, and there are things that I used to depend on, and I can't seem to depend on them anymore. I'm in the Kareth Ravine. And God would say, you know, there's something of me here. There's something of me doing something in you. And uh, I'm building something in you that I don't think we could build together in any other way than this. I'm doing a work in you so that I can do something through you. I, you know, I've, I've been there. I've been there. I've been to a place that I would definitely say for me was the Kareth Ravine. I mean, it's years and years and years ago. And I, I was facing just a broken heart and um, a very godly man who many of you know, but um, he was ministering to me and he's, I remember where we were. He's, this is 30 plus years ago. And uh, he says, meet me for breakfast. And we met at a place in Tumwater and I remember sitting in this booth and we were eating and I was trying to eat, but I couldn't eat. I was upset all the time. And he says, he said, he quotes Matthew 3.10 to me and I'll compress this for you. Basically he says, God says that when he's going to deal with something, he's going to lay the axe to the root. The concept there is God doesn't want to deal with symptoms. Let's go right down to the root and deal with it there. You know, some weeds, if you pull them out and they snap off of the ground, they're just coming back, right? You got to get down to the root. He says, God's going to lay the axe to the root here. Now, I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea what, that, what the magnitude of that actually meant. I just knew it was the word of God, and I trusted this guy, so I said, okay. I signed up, you know, kind of like a blank check to God. Okay, God, I'll sign the check, cash it, whatever. You put the numbers in, God. You get the picture here. He says, God is going to lay the ax to the root. And, um, I mean, God did that. I went through a time of, uh, you know, I don't know how to describe it to you, other than say the word pain cheapens it. It was for months, months and months. It went on for over a year. I mean, I, I lost my appetite. I, couldn't, I lost 40 pounds. It was stress all the time. I felt like, you know, I was in this isolated place. I, God was cutting and chipping and doing these things. And, and um, you know, he did something in me. In those moments of isolated pain, 
And, I, and there were times that I thought that there was nobody that really understood me. I felt so alone. And I just, and some of you could be there right now. And, um, you know, I, I know people sometimes say to me, hey, you can stand up in front and talk to people and you have to know the Bible. And how do you do what you do? And I could give a lot of explanations about that. And I wouldn't take the credit for it, except I would just say this. I do what I do because I've been in the Kareth Ravine. I have been in the Kareth Ravine. And a lot of people just don't understand that. There's um, um, a, a guy that, a uh, godly man whose name is A.W. Tozier, and he's noted for saying this statement. It's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And so to those of you who are in the Kareth Ravine today, I just want to say to you, be encouraged be encouraged. It hurts. You feel isolated and alone. But when God is doing that deep work, it always produces something majestic. You have to just take that and believe it and wait for it to experience it. But I just want you to be encouraged. So there's this season of isolated pain um, in the Kareth Ravine. The second season that God takes Elijah through is he's shaping and molding him into becoming a man of God is what, what I would call a season of total dependence total and complete dependence, you know, where Elijah can't depend on anything at all but God and God alone. Okay, picking up in verse 4, um, God says to him, you will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So, you know, Alfred Hitchcock's birds, the ravens, so that's what, so okay, now, now the video makes sense, right? I've ordered all the ravens to feed you there. Picture that, I'm on another rabbit trail. God orders the ravens. Hey, ravens, yes, God, go feed this dude. How cool is that? God commands the ravens. I'm the only guy that thinks that's cool? Okay. <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So Elijah is all by himself now, and God is doing these amazing things. There's no rain, there's no water, and God sends a brook. There's nothing to eat. And every morning and every evening, God sends ravens with bread and meat. That's the first mention in the Bible of a hamburger. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm way too immature to do this, but forgive me. So, what was God doing in those moments? I think God was very clearly saying, he was very, very clearly demonstrating that no matter what, forever and always, I'm going to be faithful. You can depend on me. Always. And many of you are in a place right now where there is something that you used to be able to trust and it's not there today. And somehow it was taken away. And you don't have anything else to trust in but God, the giver of life. And you're having to learn that when everything else that you used to believe in fades away, God will always and forever be faithful to you. Um, I heard a story about this single mom <laughs> and she would, she knew this truth. I mean, she, she would pray for her provision. Lord, I just, you know, I don't have enough to take care of my family. I don't make enough money. It's hard. Would you please meet my needs for daily bread? And she prayed, she prayed loud, and there was a guy in the apartment next who could hear. And he was an atheist, and he didn't like it, but he would hear her praying. And, and uh, there was one month where there was more month left than money, and, and uh, so she was praying, God, God, I need help, help. I need food for my kids, 
help me out. And he heard this and he heard this and he, and he just couldn't stand anymore. So he went to the store and he bought a couple of bags of groceries and he brings them back. You can probably guess where this is going. He brings them back, puts them at the front door, rings the doorbell and runs and hides. <laughs> she opens the door, sees the grocery. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And at that moment, he jumps out and he says, aha, gotcha. You fool, there is no God. I brought you those groceries because I couldn't stand hearing you pray anymore. And she says, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You not only provided for me, but you made the devil pay for it. (laughs) God will always be. (laughs) He says, I will be your provider. When you can't depend on what you used to depend on, I will be your provider. And God didn't bring Elijah, you know, a year's supply of food. He didn't bring him a month's supply. He didn't even bring him a week's supply. He brought him what he needed for the day. Just for that day. He gave him enough for right now. And you know, it, you, you could be in a season of hurting, but God alone provides what you need for the day. You know, you're hurting alone. God says, I will be your comfort today. You, you don't have much. God says, I will be your provision today. You feel weak? God says, I will be your strength today. Your friends leave you? God says, I will be your friend today. And Elijah learns to depend on God. God's breaking him and humbling him and building him. He's teaching him, I will be your provider. I am and I will be. The third thing that God takes him through is a season of unconditional obedience. Unconditional obedience. There's isolated pain, total dependence, and then unconditional obedience. Um, verse, starting in verse 7, you know, everything's changing here now for Elijah, and he's starting to wonder, hey, God, what's going on? What's really the plan? Um, verse 7, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the, Lord, the, the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Okay, so let's put ourselves in the prophet's place here for a minute. He's been months now in the ravine. The brook has been bringing him his water. You know, we could call it a stream, but a brook sounds cool and refreshing, doesn't it? (laughs) And and God says, you know, go there. Then the brook dries up, and now God says, we're done here, move on. Okay, he could be thinking, wait a second, you gave me the water to drink, and you gave me the food, and now you're saying, what? Did I do something wrong? Did I miss something, God? Have I failed you in some way? The brook dried up. Why is the source that used to feed me drying up? Why is what I've been able to depend on? And he's going to learn that the same God who gives whatever can also take the water away. Because there could be times, sometimes God will cause the brook to dry up to give us the courage to leave a place, a place where we are and go to where we are supposed to be. Some of you right now, you know, you, you, you're watching your brook drop. You, you can say, I used to trust in my job, and I'm not so sure about the future here anymore. And you're just not so sure. I used to have a 401k, and, you know, now it's a 201k. I mean, <laughs> my retirement brook is drying up. And um, I used to have all these good friends, and, you know, now my friendship brook is drying. Or I used to really be close to God, and it feels just like the brook is drying up. You know, I've heard the, the saying you before that where God guides, he provides. You've probably heard that before. Preachers like to say that. But I also believe with my whole heart that God also provides or guides by where he does not provide sometimes. The God who provides the water 
might cause the brook to dry up to give us the courage to step out in total obedience. Sometimes he guides by what he doesn't provide. Sometimes the very thing we want, he withholds so we can see where he wants us to go. It's as if, if, if we see what we think we want, we won't see what he, where he wants us. Does that make sense? Doesn't make a bit of sense, does it? <laughs> That's what I thought, you know. So he, he'll guide by what he doesn't provide. He says, go to Zarephath, which incidentally, the name of that city literally means fine, refine and fuse. I think that's interesting. I think you refine gold. I mean, you know, so he's saying, God, I really don't understand what you're saying. Yesterday, yesterday I was watching the movie Karate Kid. Remember that movie? <laughs> so this boy's getting beat up and he wants Mr. Miyagi to teach him how to fight. And Mr. Miyagi agrees. He says, okay, paint the fence. So Daniel, son, paints the fence. And Mr. Miyagi says, no, paint the fence. Remember? I'm giving you my best imitation, my best English imitation of a Japanese Mr. Miyagi, okay? So they go through that. Then he says, wax the car. And he's doing this. Mr. Miyagi, no, no, wax on. I see it going on in the crowd. Wax on, wax off. Okay. Scrub the floor. No, 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 no. Scrub the floor. Scrub the floor. Remember? You getting tired of my descriptions? So then the time comes up for, you know, Daniel's kind of doesn't understand and he's, he's kind of wanting to learn some fighting moves. And, uh, and, and Mr. Miyagi says, you know, show me, paint the fence. And he's going like this, no. Remember? <laughs> no, you know, you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> If you didn't see the movie, there's just a wild man in front preaching. But if you saw the movie, that really makes sense. <laughs> so he says, you know, show me wax the car. So he's showing him how to wax the car. He's doing all these things, and he starts punching at him, and, and the boy's learning all of a sudden for the first time. Wait a second. He was teaching me something. He wasn't using me as a slave to get the cars clean. What does this have to do with Elijah? Stay tuned, grasshopper. Stay tuned. <laughs> grasshopper. Okay. So God says to the prophet Elijah, go to the Kareth Ravine. I will provide a brook. I don't know karate, so don't make fun of me. The brook dried up. And God causes him to go to this, this new place. This, now, the story here, I don't have time. Um, it, it becomes really rich, so I'm just going to hit some highlights about what happens. He, he travels, he moves, and he goes to this place that's about 100 miles or so away, and he's going across this barren land. And God sends him to this widow who he tells him is going to provide for you. She's going to feed you and, and so forth. So he finds her. He asks her for some water and a snack, and she's thinking, wait a second, are you the only guy who doesn't know that there's no rain or dew and things are drying up and we're dying? Are you thinking this? She's thinking this. She's got to be thinking, you know, we're dying. There's a drought. I'm this widow. I don't have anything hardly at all. And my son's back there. We're going to have our last supper. I'm here to collect some sticks to make what will be our last meal. And then we're going to eat and die. And because of what God is doing in Elijah's you know, life, he says, no, 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 you're not. No, you're not. 
And he looks at an impossible situation and then he speaks faith into it. He says, that flower that you have, it's not gonna run out. And that oil that you have, it's not gonna run out. And they didn't. Okay, I just love that story. They ate for weeks and months and it never ran out. God supernaturally provided for Elijah and for his family. For that group of people, I would say that was his family, by his unconditional obedience to God. Then one day, this, this, this tragedy strikes, and the, the woman's only son dies. Mama freaks out. God, is this judgment on me because I turned away from you? Did I do something wrong? Are you here to judge me? And then Elisha does something that's never recorded anywhere in Scripture before this moment. He does some wild things. He's never, there's no scriptural example for him to draw on and say, hey, I can do this or I can do that. This is the first time. He carries that little boy upstairs and prays. And he says, God, would you put his soul back into him? Would you raise him to life? And God raises this little boy to life. Wow. Why did this happen? It happened because God took him through the Kareth Ravine. He was cut down. God took him through this season of total dependence where he could depend on only God, God and God alone. Then God dried up the brook where he was to help him go where God wanted him to be so he could perform a miracle and raise a life. God used these horrible things to shape him into a true man of God. Next week, we're going to talk about you know this guy, what God did to build up his faith and courage to face off against 450 false prophets of Baal. Great, fun story. Why did he, this guy, have all this faith to face these guys off? Because God had taken him through the Kareth Ravine. And so some of you right now are in a season of pain, deep pain, and God might be saying to you, I'm doing something in you so that later I'm going to be able to do something through you. Here's the coolest thing, though, for me as I look at this chapter. In verse 1, He's known as Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite, a dude from Tishbe. And at the end, he's, it's no longer about where he is from. It's about who he is from, whom he is from. Look at how the story changes, uh, verse 24. Then the woman says to Elijah, I, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. You know, God may allow you to go through the Kareth Ravine so that someday somebody may look at you and say, now I know, now I see. You are a woman of God. You are a child of God. You are a man of God. Now I see it. I mean, I look back and I thank God for even the pain that for me was so desperate in that season. Not because I like pain. I thank him for the hurt and the brokenness and the supernatural provision and learning to obey because my prayer is that when people look at Terry today, they don't look at me and say, oh, oh, there's Terry from Tishby. I hope that they'll look at me and they'll say, hey, oh, Terry Fisher, he's not perfect, but he's becoming a man of God. That's what I hope. And that's what I hope people will say about you, the making of a man or a woman of God. They often go through the Kareth Ravine so that God can do something in you because of what he plans to do through you.
Let's pray. Praise your name, Lord.